Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. My name is Allison Insero, and I'm the senior editor of the American Journal of Managed Care. Earlier this year, the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality published a systematic review called Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, Diagnosis and Treatment in Children and Adolescents. ADHD is one of the most common conditions in childhood and is often treated by primary care clinicians. People with ADHD may have trouble paying attention, controlling impulsive behaviors, or be overly active. We spoke to the lead author of the report, Dr. Alex Kemper. Dr. Kemper is a board-certified pediatrician and chief of the Division of Ambulatory Pediatrics at Nationwide Children's Hospital. Dr. Kemper is also deputy editor of Pediatrics, the leading journal covering issues of child health. He directs the Condition Review Workgroup for the Secretary of Health and Human Services Advisory Committee on Heritable Disorders in Newborns and Children, and joined the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force in January 2014. Dr. Kemper, welcome to Manage Carecast. Thank you very much. I'm really delighted to be here today, and I, I appreciate your, uh, the opportunity to talk about our work. Before we get into the specifics of this report, can you discuss a little bit about why we do comparative effectiveness research and the agency that produced it? I'd be delighted to talk about that. You know, as a clinician, when I talk to a patient or when I have a family come into the clinic, I really want to understand what my therapeutic options are, what things are likely to work and what things are likely not to work. So working with the patient or the family together, we can come up with the best possible plan. And to be honest, when I'm a patient myself, I want to be able to understand what works and what doesn't work. So fundamentally, comparative effectiveness research is a way to look at what the available therapies are that are out there and what are the potential benefits and harms of various approaches to getting care. It's really a way to synthesize across everything that's known so that either I as a clinician or I as a patient can understand what's likely to best help me. The report that we're going to be talking about today was funded by the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality, uh, also known as ARC, A-H-R-Q. ARC is a branch of the Department of uh, Health and Human Services, and it really is interested in helping clinicians and helping patients understand what's likely to improve their care. This is really fundamental work, and, and it's really a delight to be able to be involved in it. So it's fundamental to basic science and to understanding what's evidence-based and fact-based and what's real and and what's not in the world of medicine, then, is what you're saying. Yeah. I'm. You know, it's not involved in doing the basic science, but it's really uh, involved in understanding the, the clinical science so that people can make the best decisions for themselves. So how does this help clinicians help families understand something like attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, or perhaps something similar that is perhaps maybe not always so well understood? So let's talk about attention deficit hyperactivity disorder or or ADHD. So ADHD is something that's relatively common. It it affects about 11% of 
children between the ages of four and 17 uh, years of age. And it's something that, that oftentimes a lot of parents or sometimes teachers will be uh, concerned about it. So for decades, we've known about ADHD. And it's a complicated topic. First of all, there's lots of different ways to come up with a diagnosis of ADHD. And once a child is diagnosed as having ADHD, there are really a lot of different therapies that are out there. So there's stimulant therapies. Those are the drugs that that are out there to treat ADHD. And then there are also a lot of other more behaviorally targeted therapies. And then, of course, on top of that, there are lots of complementary therapies that are out there, things like diet therapies. And so it's common to have lots of questions, first of all, about the diagnosis of ADHD. And then once the diagnosis is made, you know, what, what should you do and how should you make those decisions? What are some of the expected outcomes? And those are the things that comparative effectiveness research can help. Now, one thing that we didn't talk about related to comparative effectiveness research is sometimes when you look out there at all the different therapies that are available, you actually find that there there are questions that we actually don't know what the best therapies are out there. And identifying those questions is also really important because, first of all, it, it helps clinicians and families understand where their areas of uncertainty, but also hopefully it can stimulate investigators out there to do the kind of research that's needed to answer the really pertinent, important questions about how care should be provided. So in other words, the questions that are in your report will help provoke further discussion for either clinicians to ask or perhaps either for researchers to use in other studies. Is that what I'm, is that what I'm hearing you, you're saying? That is exactly correct. What are some of the questions that are in the report? We really asked a lot of questions uh, in this report. We began by asking questions about what's the best way to establish the diagnosis of ADHD, what are some of the impacts that can happen after uh, the diagnosis is, is established, things like potential harms like labeling children or adolescents with ADHD. We looked at issues related to treatment. So what are the best uh, treatments? How do different treatments compare? And when we looked at treatments, we didn't just look at the medication treatments, but we looked really uh, across the whole waterfront of, of different treatments that are out there. So things like behavioral interventions, dietary um, interventions, really anything that could be used to treat ADHD. And when we think about the treatment, we looked at potential benefits. So how effective are these therapies in terms of treating the, the core symptoms of ADHD? And what are the potential harms of those treatments? So that's really, I I hope that gives you a flavor of the kinds of things that we were looking at in the report. It does. And this report, if I understand it correctly, is also an update to a report from 2011? There was a uh, 2011 report that that addressed some but not all the questions that we talked about today. So this report 
built on that um, 2011 report. Can you uh, compare and contrast the findings between the two reports and tell us what clinicians need to know about what's new in this area? Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. First of all, I, I want to um, be clear that the 2011 report had a, a little bit of a different focus than the current report. And I'll, I'll highlight the differences between the two reports. But let me begin just by placing things from the, two, 20, the 2011 report to understand uh, what the key findings from that report were. Back in 2011, some of the important findings were that parent behavioral interventions were beneficial for the treatment of ADHD for young children. And by that, I mean children who are younger than six years of age. Overall, methylphenidate, which is stimulant therapy, was effective and safe for the treatment of ADHD uh, for treatment and, and certainly well tolerated in children six years of age and older. One of the limitations that was identified back in the 2011 report was that studies of stimulant therapy like methylphenidate were really not very long. So um, we knew a lot about treatment for these older children with methylphenidate, but the studies really only went out for one to two years. So again, it would be nicer to know the effectiveness of methylphenidate beyond that short period of time. So now in terms of key findings from the new report, first of all, we looked at some new technology that's been developed to help with establishing the diagnosis of ADHD. We asked the question about whether or not neuroimaging, that would be things like MRIs or uh, new technology like the use of EEGs would help in establishing the diagnosis. And really, we weren't able to find any uh, evidence that would support using those tests to help establish the diagnosis of ADHD. Now, just because we didn't find any evidence doesn't mean that it doesn't work, but right now we didn't find um, any clinical trials that suggested that those devices should supplant the normal ways of establishing the diagnosis of ADHD. We also found that cognitive behavioral therapy or child or parent training can reduce the symptoms of uh, ADHD, but really more studies are needed related to that. We weren't able to find any new studies of the stimulant therapies like uh, methylphenidate that went beyond what was in the previous report as we talked about before. There are also serious limitations in available data regarding some of the complementary therapies for the treatment of ADHD. The one area where we were able to find sufficient evidence was in the use of omega fatty acid supplementation for the treatment of ADHD. And when you combine the findings from those studies, it does not appear that omega fatty acid supplementation improved ADHD outcomes. So those were some of the key findings from the new report. And what I think they highlight is really the opportunity to, for, for clinical researchers to help improve the, the care that we're able to provide for children with ADHD 
by better understanding um, how the different treatments compare, and also to uh, better study the ways that we diagnose ADHD. But again, in summary, these cognitive behavioral therapies and parent training, things like neurofeedback may help with ADHD, but really this is uh, an area where more research is needed. That's so interesting because I know that sometimes when you read about some of these things in the popular press, you do hear these anecdotes about things like omega fish oils helping uh, patients with ADHD, but this report is saying the opposite in, in that area. And you're saying that more research is needed for these other areas like CBT to, to really see what the effect is for patients. Is that right? Yeah, and I, do, I, I would go beyond that. So it would be nice to know how effective things like cognitive behavioral therapy are, but you know, what are the characteristics of the, the child that would be most likely to benefit from those interventions? Again, we know that these kinds of interventions can help, especially um, in, in younger children. And we also know that combining those kinds of interventions with stimulant therapy can be effective. But it would be nice to be able to know the characteristics of the, the child that would be most likely to benefit from those things, and also how best to provide those therapies. So not just looking overall at, at how effective these therapies are, but, but how to best tailor them to the individual patient. What else do you think people need to know about this report or about this area? Are there any other ways that this report is a good example of comparative effectiveness research? I, you know, I think the key thing, if I were the parent of a child with ADHD or if I was worried that my child might have ADHD, is to really talk to my child's primary care provider and ask questions about how these various therapies may be beneficial for my child. And comparative effectiveness research is really put together to help clinicians and patients, or in this case, patients and families, best figure out how they should go about getting care. And as we talked about, there are really a lot of questions about the best options for treatment. And unfortunately, in this case, we've identified a lot of questions. However, there are some things that are clear. So things like parent behavioral training can be effective for young children, that stimulant therapy is effective for uh, older children, and that there may be benefit in combining cognitive behavioral therapy and stimulant therapy for older children. And so I think it's really important that, that families discuss with their primary care provider or their uh, or the specialist that might be providing the treatment for ADHD and ask how they think that these therapies might be most beneficial for um, their children. And certainly this um, report that we've been talking about is available on the AHRQ website and, and you know, families are certainly welcome to, to print this out and bring it with them to help motivate that conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Kemper. This was really important information for everyone to know, and we really appreciate your time today. Well, like I said, I'm really um, happy to have this opportunity. Um, so thank you. Thank you. To learn more about ADHD and other neurobiological conditions, visit AJMC.com 
or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, you can email info at ajmc.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.